Martin, there are so many amazing moments in football, but there's no one I know who engineers them into masterpieces like yourself. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. It's for other people to judge. I just try to um, put across the fact that I love the game as passionately as any of the supporters, that um, I respect the game. I love the people who play it. Um, I love the fans. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be somewhere, um, probably at Woking Football Club, which has been my team since I was eight years old, um, just being a supporter. So hopefully it's with my heart as well as my head. Yeah, absolutely. And your heart's so big for the game. I can't believe when you were at the 1982 World Cup and, and Jack Charlton said, have some enthusiasm for the game, but you already have worked in the industry so long. What keeps that enthusiasm alive? I think it's what I said, it is the love for the game. I, it, no two games are ever the same. People always ask me about what game did I like the most or uh, what's the best ground and whatever. But the truth is all I ever concentrate on is the next game. And we're here in a studio where I'm going to be broadcasting a game later on uh, tonight. And uh, that's all that you can, as a, I suppose, a long servant of the game and the broadcasting profession, that's all you can do, be ready for the next one. I remember after my very first game, which was back in 1974, the producer said, oh, well, it's not bad for a debut, well done, we've got another game in a couple of weeks, would you like to do that? And my sort of off-pat answer now is that everybody's been saying since then, oh, we've got another game in another, <laughs> more like a couple of days now, thankfully. Um, and it's gone just on, on a, a road that hopefully hasn't quite reached its end yet. And that's the beautiful part. The road just keeps continuing. And even though you're 76, you've got a mind like a 26-year-old. <laughs> um, that's very um, difficult to dissect that, really, because I do feel a bit... Um, I suppose I still feel a little bit in awe of those who play the game and those who do what I do. You know, it's an out-of-body experience sometimes to think, oh, that voice on the television happens to be mine, you know? I'm... I'm still a watcher and I, I love listening to other commentators. I respect everything that they do. And yeah, the, 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 I've never grown up really. You, you're spot on. And, but the, you're also spot on with the age. So, <laughs> uh, I do my best to keep fit. This morning I was out, did an hour's work in a park this morning and uh, I just try to, I don't know, prolong this privilege that's been given to me for so many years. And sometimes your commentary is an out-of-body experience. I can tell you what, going through the highlights package, there's been so, so many special moments. Well, you've had some in Australia as well, obviously, because I've done World Cups for Australia ever since 1990. I did the first Les, one Johnny. Les, uh, Murray, Johnny Warren, and many other good broadcasters. And so, uh, yeah, I left ITV to go into the world of what was called satellite television then. Uh, leaving terrestrial television behind, but it cost me my place in the ITV commentary World Cup squad in 1990, and SBS was the one broadcaster I knew who had the rights, and I did know one or two people there, and I made a bit of a, a plea uh, to could I come and help out, and happily they said yes, and apart from 2010, where I worked for an American network, I've done all the World Cups since, uh, including 1990 for SBS in Australia. I think that's almost done and dusted now so I'm looking forward to another one and um, you know you, you don't look too far forward in broadcasting generally I think that was the same 40 years ago 
but obviously at my age, I have to make sure that I'm up to the task. And that's why I was out in the park this morning. You know, you've got to keep the body going as well as the mind. Absolutely. And what springs to your mind when you think of the name Dylan Tombides? Well, sadness. Sadness that we lost him at such an early age. Um, there's nothing you can say to compensate for that. I should have commentated on many, many games to be played in at the highest level. I'm sure he would have done. But to balance that out with the feeling of warmth that you and your organisation bring, that he has not been forgotten and won't be forgotten. And the, um, I think the response that, that you get, and certainly you only had to ask me once to come and uh, sit in front of you today, that um, from tragedy comes uh, a triumph of um, remembrance, really. And I'm really glad that West Ham themselves have played a big part in this because they're a fantastic football club. And Dylan would have been a fantastic player. Got to a point where we thought that was going to happen and then cruelly fate took another twist. And fate definitely did take a, a twist. And it's actually quite special when I think of a player that that he shares his remembrance with in, in West Ham Hearts because Bobby Moore had his, his jersey retired. And what I didn't know, he also experienced testicular cancer two years before he won the World Cup. I, I think you would know his story quite well. I don't know if you knew about testicular cancer, but I knew you wrote a book on all the players from that special moment in England. I, I knew Bobby history. very well. Um... Let me say, he, he knew so many people on my side of the, if you like, the divide between the playing and the media. Um, but he was such a, a understated person. Um, he was, he drove me to, um, he was playing for Fulham in the mid-1970s with Alan Mullery, who was a colleague obviously playing for England. And Alan had played for Spurs and gone back to playing for Fulham. And we have this programme this is your life. And I was given the job, um, it was to catch out the celebrity um, and surprise him with a presenter. So I was your age, really. And I, I went, I was asked to take a camera onto the field. Uh, there was a match going on at Fulham's Ground, Craven Cottage, between Fulham, in which Alan Mullery was playing, and Bobby Moore was playing, and a, a team of schoolboys. It was sort of set up. Um, ostensibly for the school, but we were allowed to obviously intervene. So we went onto the field and, we get, and the presenter came out and said, Alan Mullery, this is your life. He's Irish. That was a forward center. This is your life. And um, Alan was suitably um, shocked, surprised. And um, so the program was to be recorded later that day. And I was um, stuck really at Craven Cottage. And then I was invited to having played a small part to go to watch the show being recorded that evening. And I uh, said, so I'm not sure how I can get there. And the um, voice behind me said, uh, if you want a lift, I'll give you one. It was Bobby Moore. Oh. Uh, Bobby drove me. This was, say, 1975. Um, so we, England won the World Cup less than a decade before. And I sat in the front seat of Bobby Moore's car. And Bobby Moore drove me through the streets of London to oh. the studio and made me feel totally welcome and and we became closer and he came into the media. He worked a lot in radio as a, as a co-commentator. And I saw him a week before he died and uh, I was in tears. And uh, many people, I think he came to an England game almost to say goodbye to us all, you know. 
um, a great man and obviously sharing the uh, the awful disease that um, ended uh, Dylan's chances of uh, not only being a footballer but having a, a long and fruitful life. Very sad. And there is so, so many people that you've met I'm sure you miss and I know I miss so many people just, just being here right now but who's the person in your life that's made a difference that you go, I wish I could spend half an hour with them again? Well, I guess it would have to be my mother and father, really. Um, they always said to me, my mum did live quite a long time, actually. She only died 10 years ago. My dad was taken from us um, at a relatively young age. And uh, they always just say to me, when are you going to get a proper job? <laughs> um, but they didn't. They weren't football people, really. Um, but you know, I, I, as I get older myself, I see them as they were when I was younger. And my, my children are getting older, and so there's, I'm sort of putting myself. I even look a bit like my dad, you know. And um, yeah, I look in the mirror sometimes, and I would love to have half an hour with him again. Some moment in particular from your commentary, from your life. That, oh. I wish I could relive that day again. <laughs> As a commentator, there's plenty of times where you go, I wish I'd said something different. <laughs> uh, but you're asking me a serious question. I don't know. I, I think we all... I like to look forward. I, I, I don't like to wish the time away either. I, I like to... There's a, a, an ex-footballer called Mick Shannon who became a very famous racehorse trainer and still is doing that stuff. And he used to say, and this is 40 years ago, say, live every day as if it would be your last and one day you'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to laugh about it, but I do think um, older people who are watching this will understand what I'm saying. You want to make the most of, of what you have. And I've been very lucky to um, still be around, but still be around doing what I did 45 years ago. So there's, it's a real blessing and a privilege. And, you certainly don't want to. Um, you don't want to spoil that. You, you want to recognise it, cherish it, and not make it. We're talking openly here, and I've probably not ever said this in a on a public platform before. But that's how you feel. You you want to um, you want to keep going, but you want to do it properly, and you know that there is uh, a finality to it eventually. Um, and for Dylan, it was far, far, far too soon. For Bobby Moore, it was far too soon though he had a longer life um, and yeah I suppose those will say well the dice gets rolled for you or you roll your own dice I don't know but life's for living there's a lot of awfulness in the world at the moment uh, apart from disease which hopefully great work is being done with cancer to you know to give other people a better chance in the name of Dylan and Bobby and the charities um, but there are all sorts of other difficulties that are perhaps not health. We know what I'm talking about. Um, and that is, that is something that you look back on and you think, how on earth has that been allowed to happen? But it is happening. And we have to, um, we have to do all we can to make sure that right triumphs over wrong. Couldn't have said it more poignantly, Martin. But as we are a testicular cancer foundation, what would you say across your life has been your ballsiest moment? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. Do you mean like uh, with plenty of guts in it, or do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not when you batting. As I was, I played a lot of cricket when I was younger, and maybe being struck there is um, something that's a painful memory. But uh, I don't know. I, I, you took I, a leap of faith into the unknown. Well, I suppose I took a leap of faith in my professional life when I um, when I left ITV after seventeen years. They were really good to me. Taught me my trade. Gave me my chance nurtured my career. I did the World Cup final for ITV in 1982. I'd only been a commentator seven years, so that was a leap of faith for them. But to leave what was those commentators um, that I left behind, the procedure of ITV, I would still, if I was doing the job probably, I would still be working for them now. So it, was a, it wasn't a job for life, you'd have to earn that, but, but the pathway was clear. The pathway to leave for, um, as I said, what was called satellite television then, was a real leap of faith. And um, I didn't really want to do it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a, a real risk taker, and I'm not a gambler. Um, but it was a gamble. My family, my children were three and one, I think. And uh, I was thinking about potential for how, how their education was going to be funded and stuff like that. And but I did do it. I left ITV and I went, I had two years left on my contract and I went to, uh, it's a name well known in this country, Greg Dyke, who has um, run BBC and ITV and the Football Association. He's been a, a very influential person. And I had to ask him to be released from my two years of my contract. And he went, yeah, okay, I understand. Um, and the gamble was, that was the gamble uh, to go. And as he, he kindly showed me to the, um, the door of his office, it tells you how important he was, he had an office where there was a business. And I said to him, there's the door, I said, do you know what, I'll be knocking on your door again in a few weeks, a few months, because I'm not sure this is going to work. And he went, I don't think you will. So he knew, even though he was slightly on the other side of the fence, he believed more than I did probably at where I was going to, and he was right. And, and we got there in the end, and, and that became, um, I suppose, the sports channel, which didn't exist in this country really, until um, there, were, there were one or two, to be fair, and, um, but the big Sky Sports was a big, uh, uh, big progress for broadcasting all sports, but particularly football and the Premier League was almost constructed for this uh, marketplace. And it's 30 years, I can't believe it. I worked on the first weekend of the Premier League um, everybody knows that I did uh, Nottingham Forest against Liverpool, which was the first live Sky game. But on the Saturday, I did the game as well for the world, or the world <laughs> broadcast certainly to all the English-speaking countries, which was um, Leeds, who were the defending champions, and they were the last champions of the Football League in '92, against Wimbledon, the old Wimbledon team. And that was the Saturday in Yorkshire, and I just drove a short journey down to Nottingham to do the game on the Sunday. So that was the very first in at the start. And then uh, with the last kick of the 20, 20th season, Sergio Aguero did something rather memorable. And then... Only um, just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then this is the 30th. So, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's flown by, to be honest with you, Reese. And yeah. Sky's become an absolute behemoth as well. But I would have thought the little gamble that you took when you were ghost riding for Jimmy Hill and you knocked on his door was, oh, wow, was a sliding God. door moment. You've done, a, you've done a lot of research about me. Um, 
That, was that, that wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to not go to ITV as a production assistant, not, nowhere thought of commentating, um, because I was a non-league player of considerable ambition, but less than considerable ability. Um, but I was still playing and I was still knocking around. Don't sell yourself short, Martin. Uh, well, um, I, I, I presume I wasn't selling myself short because I still wanted to play. But I was working for Jimmy Hill, who'd just left ITV to go to the BBC. Um, and I was writing his column for a Sunday newspaper. He'd say, do something with Brian Clough. And I'd have to find Brian Clough on the phone, you know, and the, the, no mobiles or anything like that. Get a few quotes from him, work it into a piece, and then Jimmy would put it into his own style and it would go in the Sunday paper. And um, I'd been offered this job at ITV, but I... Um, I said, no, I'm still playing. And Jimmy said to me, look me in the eye. I, I, I delivered the copy to his flat. And on this particular day, this is fate. He wasn't always there, but this day he was. So come and have a cup of coffee. And what are you doing? I said, oh, funny enough, I've just turned down the chance to go to on the weekend. He went, what? And I said, no, I want to keep playing. And uh, he said, you're mad. He said, you're mad. How good are you? And I go, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm in and out of the team. And, and he said, take the job. It, you never know where it will lead you, were his very words. And he was such a powerful, charismatic man. So I went home, literally from his flat, I went back home to where I was living in South London. And I phoned up and said, half hoping they would say it wasn't available, is the job still available? And they said, yeah, I think it is. Do you want to come in? You know, you've had a change of heart. Oh yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. So I came in, got offered the job. There was still one more hurdle to cross. I then had to go to my football manager, I was pre-season, it was August, who's a well-known sportsman in this country. And if you're a certain age, you'd, you'd know him. He's a guy called Mickey Stewart, who mm. played cricket for England, played professional football, and is the father of Alex Stewart, who played cricket for England, even more successful career than his dad. And so, I and we were training at the Oval, um, which was just because of Mickey's knowledge, you know, he could get us in there. <laughs> And so on the steps of the Oval, famous steps where batsmen have gone up and down, had hundreds acknowledged and members riding in. On those empty steps that day, I said to Mickey Stewart, look, I think I might not be able to play this season because I've got the chance to go into television. And I always feel if he'd said, hang on a minute, we're, we're starting the season on Saturday, you're in the team, I would have oh. reversed the decision. What he did say was, good luck, son, <laughs> and shook my hand and I went, well, that's tells me what he thinks about losing me as a player and that moment um, yeah so I went into television and a year and a half later I was doing a commentary and you know the rest the rest is history as he said it led you to have some moments and the two people that I have etched in my brain right now is you working with Gary and Jamie what are they like to work with? <laughs> They're brilliant. They're ultimate professionals in a profession they haven't really been trained in. They're self-taught. Of course, they get help from the producers and we try and give little pointers. They don't need much from me, that's for sure. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a privilege. I mean, obviously, I've commentated on a lot of their careers. I, comment, I met um, uh, Jamie in a Youth Cup final. We talk about this occasionally because... <laughs> Uh, he was playing for Liverpool's youth team against West Ham's youth team. Um, and he, they, the first leg was at uh, Upton Park. And they were training either the day before or the, day, or the morning of the game. And I was, obviously, I needed to know the faces. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so I watched the training with the benefit of the coach saying it was okay. Uh, and afterwards, that they were all piling on the bus to go back to the hotel and shower and everything. And Jamie just stood talking, you know, just chattering away. <laughs> and that was uh, a long time ago. He was 17 or 18. And then I commentated on his Premier League uh, debut and he scored. He scored against Aston Villa. We, we play that to each other from time to time. <laughs> and, um, and then Gary won the um, European Under-18 tournament, which we covered on Sky in 1993. And um, so I, I knew him from there, and we did some matches. We didn't do the Class of 92 game. We did the 93 when they were the defending holders of the Youth Cup, and they lost to Leeds. Um, um, but that was all around that time, sort of April into June for that. So I've known them a long time. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're really good, honestly. They are really good. And sometimes I feel like the dad taking the kids out for a, an afternoon's <laughs> entertainment, like behave, you know. But, of course, they do behave. And, and it makes my job so much easier. I have total trust in them, and I hope they have some trust in me as well. Yeah, no wonder Gary's company is relentless because they are both <laughs> as relentless as yeah. each other in their punditry, and that's yeah. all you can ask for. And they have a wonderful, a little bit like, I guess, Liverpool and Manchester City, having seen the game, being at the game, it's... Um, it's real respect. Uh, uh, they drag each other along, don't they? They can't shake each other off, uh, the two clubs. And, and uh, Gary actually reproached the, uh, the rivalry because, uh, largely on Jamie's say-so, because he thinks the best rivalry there's been. But for Gary, there's been too much hugging uh, between <laughs> rivals. But I think that one of the things I didn't remember until later was uh, Kevin De Bruyne came across to Jordan Henderson in the tunnel to be quite sort of matey. Mm. We're like, you know, we're going yeah. out to play, but we're here now. Jordan was, okay, and then like that. He was yeah. like Roy Keane. Or, yeah, and Vieira. Or Gary Neville and yeah. Patrick Vieira, yeah. He was, he was like that. So, um, no, it's, just, it's serious, but um, I think everybody knows involved in both camps how good they are, and I know how good my two colleagues are, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's special to be with them on the air but they're great fun off the air as well. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely a magnetism towards both of them. But we're coming towards the end, Martin. But I can't help but ask, what have been the biggest lessons that you would hope to impart to myself going through my little journalism journey? Um, a simple one, really. Uh, none of us will be the best, but we can be the hardest workers, you know? And I think if you've got a pathway... It's sometimes you don't have to have a pathway. It's not. It's not an order that you must have a pathway. And as you've just drawn out of me, my pathway was a bit like that at the start, and I didn't even recognise that it was. But once you know it, I think you're in a privileged position. Then there's no excuse for not giving it everything that you can. I think there's a lot of talk about, and, and rightly so. It's changed since I started about work and lifestyle balance, and I think that's an important thing. Certainly, lockdown has made people review that kind of situation. But if you want to um, win a race in a profession, um, you've, you've got to be like the player on the pitch. You, the, the successful players, they have talent, but they, those guys for Liverpool and Manchester City, they all give it everything every day. Demanding managers, but you can still maybe cut a corner here, don't cut any corners, do it 
with your heart as well as your head and you'll need a bit of luck so good luck I'm sure you'll get there. Thank you so much Martin you definitely do need that in life but what would be your takeout message for all men who are experiencing issues or mm. going through something what would be your parting words for them to speak about testicular cancer? I would say don't be afraid I would say Trust your emotions. I would say, obviously, take medical advice. But I think one thing has changed from the, if you like, be a man, man up, you know, pull yourself together. I think that's, that's gone. Everybody has their own emotions. I think we've been drawn out more emotionally through a lockdown situation over which we had no control. It was suddenly with us. And, and it meant a lot of adjustment. And if you are confused by it, or not quite the same, not the new normal is not what, what the old normal was, don't be shy of recognizing that, speaking out about it. There are a lot of people prepared to listen now. It's not a taboo subject. And in terms of the cancer, um, there's so much good advice out there about how to go about having checks and making sure if you are found to be suffering a little bit, you're caught early enough for it to be dealt with by the wonderful medics that we have now and the wonderful scientists who are doing their best to make it even more curable. Special again from you, Martin. I swear we'll never see anyone ever again like yourself, Martin. That's big. Um, but no I, do, way. I do swear that that moment, in, which was Sergio Aguero's moment, the Manchester City's moment, we're having a an anniversary and 10 years on this year and um, I have been invited which is a, a, an honour um, but I'll, I'll be, be well, well down, down the back, back. Oh, Sergio will be, be well out the front <laughs> because he we did discuss it a year ago I met him really for the first time to chat mm -hmm. about it and it was it was before his last game for Manchester City or his last um, Premier League game for Manchester City and um, I, always, I said to him, I knew you'd score. That's all I can say about it. At the time, it's not, I've obviously re revisited it a lot and it's kind that people ask about it. But the one thing I know at the time, that when he took the touch, I knew he'd score. In that, that millisecond, I knew. Whether that had any influence on what I said, I don't know. I will never know. No one will ever know. Um, but what I do know after, after the, uh, the lots of O's, that I was quiet for a while. You could not have um, said a sentence that would be heard, even if I'd strained my voice at the top. It was the noisiest moment. It was absolutely deafening, bedlam, chaos, as Joe Hart, that one, Tony Mills was the match director, did an absolutely superb job. And uh, the shot of Joe Hart is my favorite part of it, really, because he doesn't think it's happened. He can't believe it. Has it really happened? Running around and completely disorientated by the joy and the disbelief. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll see Joe on the anniversary and um, um, ask him if he can remember what he thought. <laughs> no, I haven't had the chance to do that since. So, no, um, listen, I've been a really lucky person and we're talking here in memory of someone who wasn't so lucky. And I think we should all remember Dylan. Thank you so much, Martin. It's truly been a pleasure speaking a with pleasure you about you, Dylan and life. Thanks, Martin. Cheers.